Talking Seinfeld is brought to you by the Four Finger Discount Network. So, Saturday night. She had to be impressed by that conversation. Had to. It was a great performance. I am unbelievable on the phone. On the date, they should just have two phones on the table at the restaurant. She said you're getting together Saturday night. <laughs> That's it? She didn't mention anything about the conversation? No. Well, you see, I don't get that. We had a relaxed, stimulating, great conversation. She doesn't mention it. Why doesn't she mention it? What? She could have mentioned the conversation. All right, all right. I'll go on the date, but that's that. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Seinfeld, the podcast where we discuss everything we know about the show about nothing. This week, we are here to review the episode, The Fix-Up. I am Dando. I am Guy. Dando, doing okay, mate? Doing very, very well. Thank you to everyone who has tuned into the show this week and followed us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Talking Seinfeld, at Talking Seinfeld on Twitter and at Talking Seinfeld on Instagram. Please make sure you do continue to follow us. And thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts this week and chucked us five stars on Spotify. We do appreciate all of your support. All right, The Fix-Up, Mr. Davis. This was a really, really fun episode. This was sort of like, this is classic Seinfeld in the sense that it was very dialogue heavy, just mm. long conversations, not, 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 not a lot of different set pieces, just long conversations in like Jerry's apartment and on the phone, which were just felt so real, felt like a conversation you could still have today. Yeah, just, I, I, just, I just loved it. And I thought that um, uh, Cynthia, what a character. Well, of course you're going to like Cynthia because yeah. <laughs> uh, she, of course, is played by in the in the credits of this episode. She's Maggie Jacobson. She may be known as better known as Maggie Wheeler. Yeah. Uh, and Maggie Wheeler, of course, played Janice on Friends, which is the subject of the one about Friends, another uh, podcast uh, from the four your pals at the Four Finger Discount Network. And my wife and I host that show, so if you do enjoy some Friends, make sure you check out that one, the one about Friends. But yes, guy, as you were saying, this episode. Just a terrific performance by uh, by Ms. Wheeler. Uh, yeah, just um, I don't know if we ever do we ever see Cynthia again. Does she ever make so. another no. appearance? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I she so. just lit up the room and left because it, no, she felt very much in sync uh, with the Seinfeld style. Um, you know, played well off. Uh, so yeah, I think the bulk of her scenes were with uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, and those two, yeah. yeah, they bounce off each other really well, or played off each other really, very, very well. Well, the thing we don't see all that often is Elaine having a female friend to bounce off mm. for long portions of time. So, like she said, she's had friends on the show, but they've usually been bitchy or whatnot. Or her roommates yeah. annoying. Having her with a friend who's on the same wavelength and having a kind of like a Jerry Elaine kind of conversation, you know, a bit. Yeah, they sort of seem both equally neurotic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and I think looking at it, Elaine sort of has, she feels like she's kind of got the upper hand in this. It's like, oh, she likes her friend clearly, but also recognises that her friend has few flaws, few faults or whatever. And it's an opportunity to feel a bit uh, a bit good about yourself. Like Jerry says at the very end of the episode when he's talking about fix-up, he goes, you know, you know, it's a good thing, but it's also a power trip for you. You're the one who's, you know, sort of steering things in the direction that you think they should go in. Well, that's why Jerry did this. Jerry didn't really want to set up because he wanted George to find happiness. Even he says, he's like, oh, this won't work out. He just wants the, to be able to have the um, the goss. Wants, wants to be the puppet master. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, look, one thing I did notice about this episode, 
Um, and look, I'm going to sound like I'm losing my marbles here or losing my memory or whatever, but Seinfeld's had canned laughter before, right? Or had sort of audience participation laughter. It felt really over the top this time. It felt like there was a lot of canned laughter or studio laughter or live in front of a studio audience laughter. It just... Maybe the show was gaining popularity, but, you know, you notice that um, I think it's, I've got it like as my fifth or sixth point here. It's like very obtrusive applause, very obtrusive laughter. And, you know, when Kramer enters, it's like, Kramer. That's the most substantial uh, reaction he's received on the show so far, I think, when he's walked in the yeah. room. Like, it was like to the point where you couldn't even hear him. And you could tell that Michael Richards just, just moved on. He was like, I'm not fucking waiting. Because when you wait for the applause, it sort of kills the, kills the momentum of the story, doesn't it? It really does. And I think, you know, enough people sort of take the piss out of that where someone's standing there going, oh, yeah, basking in it, basking in it. Okay, now I'll start my line. It's like, yeah. mm, don't forget why we're here, guys. Yes. You know, we're here to tell this particular story. Uh, and this and this was a good one. Yeah, And L- Larry David, he made a point. I remember watching it in the DVDs that he hated the crowd responding to Kramer where he said, mm. you got to the point where they had to just tell people when he enters, you remain quiet. Like it's, or you, yeah. you laugh or whatever. But it's not, uh, woo like Because he could see that Kramer was becoming... You know the the the, the Fonzie. Fonzie, the Fonzie of the show, yeah. and it's like no, no, we this is Seinfeld, not the Kramer show, because once yeah. once one character sort of takes over, it's hard to pull it back. It quickly becomes the show about them. Well, it's like we you know we recently recorded an episode of Going Down to South Park, uh, where we talked a bit about the old uh, sitcom Good Times that quickly became the Daniel Mate show because the character JJ kept saying dynamite and everyone was really happy about that as opposed to the stories that the show was telling. So um yeah no I I'm wholly with Larry David on that about you know you guys shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Larry comes out specifically shut the fuck up <laughs> but it also it wasn't just the Kramer entering the room. It was when Elaine says something it was like the like oh you told him girlfriend it's like, yeah, it's like yeah. what's going on here? This isn't married with children. <laughs> I know, and was it the Simpsons that took the piss out of that? Where you know, you know, <laughs> they were doing the married with children. I'm trying to remember the thing that took the piss out of married with children. It's like, uh, well, so Simpsons did it, and it's like no peg, and then he flushes the yeah, toilet. Oh, like, <laughs> let's have sex. Uh, no peg, and then, and then flushes, flushes the toilet. <laughs> And everyone's like, woo, and it's like, yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> I can understand if you're a creative individual, you've created a show, you sort of poured your heart and soul and energy into it. And, you know, it sounds churlish to say, oh, you guys are digging it for the wrong reasons. But, you know, if you've got a, a, a vision of something, I don't know, I think you're also anticipating the response to it. And when the response is different to what you had in mind, you, you, you could probably get a little frustrated by that. But there'd never been a show in this format before Seinfeld where they'd prevented the audience from participating like that. Mm. It's just like, oh, this is a live sitcom. He's the funny character. He's like the the wacky neighbour. That's who we're yeah. supposed to gravitate towards. He's the... We don't see him all that often usually. So it's like when he comes on stage, like, oh, yeah, he's our favourite. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. This is different people. Shut the fuck up. This isn't fucking Mork and Mindy. <laughs> this, is, this is Seinfeld. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And also, I watched the On um, the Inside look again which is like a little behind-the-scenes docker on the DVDs. And Jason Alexander has said that this was sort of when the show writers and the, the showrunners realized that he was willing to have his physical attributes really be the butt of a joke. 
you know, oh, he's not okay. fat. He's, he's, he's strong. And he says, like, he was willing to be a, in his words, a sexual buffoon. And one sort of like, because he said at this point, Larry used to sort of, he'd write jokes about you know, being bored and things like that. He'd sort of look at George, uh, sort of look at Jason and be like, you okay with this? And he'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. But this is like, this episode here was when they truly realized, okay, we can have some fun with George's weight. And we can, and Jason's not going to feel bad about it. He's willing to, he accepts who he is. This is who he is. And he's going to make the most of it. And you know what I mean? And yeah, this is sort of where they, he says the George character really flourished and they could really realize, mm-hmm. hey, we can make fun of him being bored, make fun of him being fat and short and things like that. And that would go on to become a real part of the um, the character going forward. It, it's great when you've got a, a performer like that who's just, I guess, fearless or Gets like, bulletproof. Gets it. I think that's the, yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, well, no, this is what you're working with, you know, Take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was, so it was written by um, by Larry Charles and Elaine Pope, and they've mm-hmm. said that, um, or Larry said that this happened to them. So they they had friends and they tried to fix them up, and it just went terribly. So that's where they got the idea for this. They pitched it to Jerry mm-hmm. and um, and Larry, and they said, "Yeah, go write this straight away." And they won the um, the Emmy for this episode for outstanding individual achievement in writing in a comedy series. And the, cool, Seinfeld's first Emmy, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And a cool little thing is that Jerry actually read out the winner at that year's award show. Ah. And they knew that Jerry was <laughs> going to be reading out the um, the award. They didn't know they were going to win. So they said they were in the limo on the way there. And he wrote like this speech and it goes for like five minutes. And they got there like, you realize if you win, it's 30 seconds. You're not going to get five minutes. So they, just, they scrunched that up and wrote a new speech for Jerry to read for them. And you can actually find this on, um, on, on YouTube. And it only goes for like 30 seconds or so. But Jerry's reading the speech. And it's, they wrote it in a way that Jerry is talking himself up, like, you know, he's a humanitarian and he's this, that, and the other. And then Larry Charles rips the, 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 the note out of Jerry's hand and says, come on, that's enough, as if to say Jerry was, like, taking yeah. advantage of the situation. But, like, it was very, very funny. I just thought it was cool that Jerry Seinfeld got to read out the first Emmy Award win for Seinfeld. Like, what are the Absolutely. odds? Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I like that they still reference the past. Um, so, Elaine mentions how George tried to poison his boss. And that's exactly what happened when he got fired. Remember in The Revenge? Yeah. <laughs> that is a good one, Stu. Yeah. One of my favourites. But what were your favourite moments from The Fix-Up? Well, first of all, yeah, just great moment in editing. where <laughs> It's in the very early scene where you, I think it's Cynthia saying, oh, she's hopeless or she's desperate or something, and they cut to Ger- uh, George just eating spaghetti really badly or just you know, being an absolute slob. Oh, that was fantastic. And, and, it's a, and it's a nice sort of seed plant for... You know, the very end of the episodes. I thought that was great. Um, one thing I noticed, and you know, this is done in the early nineties, so people you know may well be taping it on their on their video cassette recorders, yeah, whatever. But there's something I noticed that you know, Jerry has his um, shelf full of videotapes, and there's a scene that actually takes place right in front of that. And I'm pausing. You know, what are some of the titles on these videotapes? And I wrote some of them down. I've got titles like Easy Love, Gunfights. Rugburn and one is just called the title. So it's like <laughs> I'm I'm wondering who you know if, if there was a production design manager who did that or if it feels like something Larry David would do. Let's look up Cypher VHS tape uh, titles, whether it's like one of those things that they change each episode. Because like for example in Friends they have the um the chalkboard or the whiteboard on um, mm. the back of the Chandler and Joey's door or whatever it is they used to write something different on every episode. Yeah. Let's see if that's a thing that goes on in Seinfeld. Uh, does anyone know the meaning behind the titles? I'm looking, at, I'm looking at a Reddit thread here from last year on the VHS okay. tapes. What were the ones that you had? Easy Love, Gunfights, Rugburn. That's probably my favourite. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so we've got, yeah. So we've got e- Easy Love, Gunfights, uh, Great Men is another one here. So yeah, so obviously it's um, <laughs> just something that's made up, I guess. 
Yeah, I don't think these are actual. I mean, it's like, you know, Rochelle Rochelle or uh, Prognosis Negative. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just someone got bored. It's like, quick, we need titles. It's like, title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're seeing something like Easy Love or Rugburn, you're assuming these might be pornos. Yeah, that's true. But you know the thing is, though, this is in an era where freeze framing wasn't really a thing. You didn't really put many- That's Easter- the other thing. I know, I know the Simpsons yeah. were putting you in there, but the Simpsons- put a lot of Easter eggs into the show, not expecting anyone to ever find them except for themselves. Like, they knew they'd be in there, but people yeah. would, but people at home would never actually pick up on it. And then DVDs came around, it's like, oh, shit, we can't hide anything anymore because they can freeze frame <laughs> it. But, yeah, I, just, I think the idea would have been just quickly just write anything on there, like gunfights. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, what else did you enjoy? I like this bit about uh, <laughs> about buying condoms at the uh, at the uh, the pharmacist, at the chemist. That's good stand-up, wasn't it? Yeah. It was good stand-up. I mean, something I've never understood, though, is just the embarrassment about buying condoms. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're telling the world you're getting laid. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I, I, that's how I always sort of looked at it. When I bought someone when I was younger, I was like, that's right. I'm getting lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, you know, <laughs> you're 13 years old or whatever. Well, of course, there are probably 13-year-olds out there who are getting laid. Good on them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, and also a packet of condoms. It's like, why are you being shy about it? So it's like you buy the extra large ones. It's like they're looking up, mate. Come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to sell them to you, but you know, let's be realistic. Yeah. <laughs> so goal, yeah, that was set, my favorite. Set your bit. goals high. That's fine. But I really enjoyed George just immediately giving up when he finds out that. Um, Cynthia didn't mention the phone call. Ah, oh, well, I'll go to dinner, but that's it. That's, it's over. Like, like, he just <laughs> immediately can just admits and concedes that it's just going to be finished. I thought that was cool. I really enjoyed the hair conversation. You know, thick, lustrous hair is important to me. <laughs> it's important to you. Yeah. Okay, just want to clarify it. Like, right. <laughs> to you, it's very important. Thick, lustrous hair. Okay, then. And like, will the hair get stuck? I just thought Jerry's response in that was really... Jerry is very well... He's getting very good at acting. Like, Jerry in the first few episodes, yeah. first couple of seasons, yeah, hit and miss. He's really finding his groove now. Or they're, they're writing lines and comedy that fits his abilities. That's Yeah, I think there's a few things in there. And one of those is, yeah, very bang on that, you know, they know what... The writers know what he's capable of and uh, tailoring, tailoring the dialogue and you know, the exchanges, all that, to suit him. But also I think he's getting more and more comfortable and more and more familiar with the people that he's working with. Yes. You know, and he, they're, they're able to pick up on each other's rhythms. Like they say, if you want to be a good chess player, you play someone who's better than you. Jason Alexander and Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Michael Richards, they've all done their time in sketch. I think Julie Louis-Dreyfus was on Saturday Night Live. Michael Richards was on another a TV sketch show, a sketch, a sketch comedy show. Jason Alexander's an actor. So, you know, these are all people who sort of have a bit more experience than, uh, than Jerry. And I think working alongside them or working with them, yeah, makes him a bit stronger. And it's not just confidence with who he's working with. I think it's this confidence in the show is now finally succeeding. The show, the, the p- people are now recognising Seinfeld as a hit show. So he's just got that sort of you can tell he's sort of got that little aura of confidence around him now. Where in the first couple of seasons it was kind of like, yeah, I'm still trying to, yeah, I'm still trying to work out who I am. And now he's just like, mm. I'm Seinfeld from Seinfeld. You know, this this show is all about me, and he's just he's got the confidence. Yeah. You can you can really really tell with the way he, with his acting. Also, my final thing here is George's excitement at impregnating somebody. <laughs> I <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> I did it! I did it! <laughs> did did you say did my it. boys can swim? My boys can swim. I, I, they did it! I can do it! It's so funny. Like that's the feeling. Though. When when Nicola first said she was pregnant, I was like, "Damn, I work. They work. We did it, boys." <laughs> Could you spell that, please? No. Next question. 
It is time now for some trivia for the fix-up. But before then, it's time to read out some names of our $20 patrons. Ooh. Pete Anderson, Andrew Zur, Steamed Ham Champion, Dylan Haggett, Jordan Moleman Ritchie, Christopher Darby, Plain Old Matt, uh, Andrew Davis, Ryan Dunlap, Jared Howard, Hank Scorpio, Kevin Dental, Plan Flood, Jonathan Rossi, Zach Pruitt, Timothy Burleson, Joel Yoland, Katie G, Daniel Kotnick, Shannon Hofer, Reese Roberts, George McMenemy, uh, Stephen Roberts, Sean Devey, Bella Winderbank, Tom Pickering, Mark Boston Burgess, Grand Skipper Noah, Declan Phoenix, Jack McFadden, Heath Appleby, Preston Murray, Adric McLeod. Thank you so much, guys, for being $20 patrons. Remember, if you're a $20 mm. patron, you get your name read out on every single show we do here on the Four Finger Discount Network. Talking Seinfeld, Going Down to South Park, uh, Tales of Futurama, uh, Four Finger Discount, the one about friends, as well as our Movie Guys podcast as well. So thank you so much, guys, for your support. Uh, if you want to be a supporter of the fourth of the Talking Sci-Fi podcast, you can do so for as little as one single dollar we do, or chuck us a donation at fourfingerdiscount at outlook.com. All links are in the description of this podcast. If you don't want to sign up to Patreon, which is perfectly understandable, you can chuck us a donation as well. Anything five dollars or more will get you a shout out on the show as well. But it's now time, Mr. Davis, after reading out all those names, got my <sighs> breath back. What's your first question? I don't have that many okay. for you, I'm sorry, but let's start with how much can George lift? 100 pounds. He can lift 100 pounds. Mm. Which is what is kilograms? Head. Let's have a look. Say something like 55? Into kilos, kilos, it is 45. Well, I was just wrong, wasn't it? <laughs> That's not too bad. It's getting there. My first question <laughs> is, Bob Sacramento got a job at a condom factory where? It was in Jersey, right? It was in New Jersey? I'm pretty sure they just say Edison, but yeah. Oh, okay then. I'm pretty sure Edison is in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, but that's just, yeah, Edison, yeah. But he, okay. okay. <laughs> I was, One point to you. I was about to say, I was right, except I was wrong. <laughs> um, uh, how long did the conversation between, the phone conversation between George and Cynthia last? Ooh, good question. I want to say, was it, oh shit, was it three hours? It's 20 minutes. Only 20 minutes? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, there you go. My first, my next question is, what word does George use to describe Cynthia's voice? <laughs> I also had this. Mellifluous. Yes. Uh, what's your next question? Do you have any more? Or have I stolen your last one? Mellifluous was my last question. Okay. My final question <laughs> is, what time did they get home from their dates? Was it 11? 11 p.m.? Uh, it's a little bit later than that. They say, oh, it's 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 quarter to 12 and they haven't not called me yet. Yeah. Oh, okay. 11.45. All right, so that is trivia for The Fix. So we'll be right back, guys, after this short break with our review of the episode. If you're a fan of everything we do here at Talking Seinfeld, you can support the show on Patreon, where not only will you get early ad-free access to the show, but you also get access to hours of bonus podcasts, access to our exclusive Facebook community, and so much more. So join the family today at patreon.com slash discount. Link is in the description of this podcast. If you feel like having yourself a time, then check out our new podcast, Going Down to South Park, where we go back and revisit every episode of the iconic series, dissecting the stories, reveling in chef sing-alongs, and chuckling at the occasional fart joke. Going Down to South Park is available now for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you're looking for a podcast that'll always be there for you, look no further than our new show, The One About Friends, hosted by myself and my incredible wife, Nicola. She's literally the biggest Friends fan I know, so who better to help me as we revisit every single episode of the show, discussing the characters, fashion trends, and how this iconic series still relates to our lives to this day. 
The One About Friends is available now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. The original air date of The Fix-Up was February 5th, 1992. It was written by Larry Charles and Elaine Pope and directed by Tom Sharones, guest starring Maggie Wheeler as Cynthia. The episode kicks off with some stand-up describing or talking about a conductor at a um, at a show, I've always thought this. We went and saw Star Wars um, and Toy Story recently. Nicola and I with the um, with the live orchestra, and like they're obviously doing something, you know. But it's like I don't understand. I'm always fascinated by these wiggles of the of the wand. How is that telling hmm. telling them what to do? I don't I don't get it. I must admit, I'm kind of curious about it as well. This reminded me of two things, or both things, two things to mind. First yeah. of all, uh, we had like a, a music competition when I was back in school. And one of the, this moment that brought the house down was one particular group had this kid come out as conductor. And this kid's name was Will Morgan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Will was, uh, <laughs> how do I describe it? Popular guy, good sportsman, very funny, probably the least cultured person you'd ever meet. Okay. So for him to come out with, um, you know, conductor's baton and sort of stand in front of them, you know, these kids playing music and just going, Mm. everyone was like ah. <laughs> yeah and of course everyone was in on the joke I mean Will was definitely in on the joke yeah. so that was, that was very funny also there's a movie coming out uh, I think early next year called Tar T-A-R um, stars Australian legend Kate Blanchett and she's playing like a uh, symphony conductor and I must admit I'm looking forward to it primarily because apparently it's like oh she's at the top of the game she's you know like one of the best in the world and I'm like well, maybe this movie will explain exactly what a conductor does yeah. and what makes a good one from a bad one. Hopefully because, so. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> um, I, ma- I imagine it's about keeping the flow of them, keeping everybody in sync. But, I mean, as Jerry points out, it's like, well, you're all reading from the same page. It can't be that hard, can it? Do they ever look up at the conductor or do, are they not looking at their notes, like at their, their, their sheet music? Just, I've always just been fascinated by it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's just sort of steering the orchestra in the direction that they need to go and making sure that everyone, you know, someone isn't playing too fast or, you know, that the overall tempo of the music isn't speeding up. It's like, no, slow down. Go mm. up like this, go down. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I we'll don't have to get know. a conductor on the show as a guest to explain it to us. What do you reckon? Quite possibly. Without luck, we'd probably end up with like a train conductor. I was going to say a train conductor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So George thinks that um, he just needs to accept that he's never going to meet anybody. And, you know, maybe you won't. <laughs> but, you know, he says it's hard enough to meet women you dislike, much less like. And Jerry's he's just, he's, he's not patronised, but he's not really paying much attention. Are my nostrils getting bigger? No. <laughs> and George wants to know, you know why, what is the big deal? Why can't I just approach a woman and say, you know, hello, I'm George and whatnot. And then mm-hmm. a, an attractive woman walks past and he just gets all flustered. <laughs> yeah. That's me when I was younger. I, like, I, 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 you like to pretend you're confident with your mates. And then a hot girl walks over and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> I remember one thing in particular and I, don't know how I remember this because I was clearly drunk. <laughs> I was at, actually at a bar in Hong Kong. Uh, this is back in, probably around the time this episode came out. Went out in Geelong, <laughs> ended up in Hong, in Hong Kong. That's correct. <laughs> no, I was living in Hong Kong for a little while. And out of this uh, out of this bar in the nightclub district. And I yeah, clearly had a bit to drink. And I saw this very attractive woman across the across the bar. And I was just drunk enough to think, I should, I'm just going to go over and say hi to this woman. You know, and see what happens from there. And I think I made it to within like a few feet of it and I saw that she was just so far out of my league that it would have just been a fool's errand. And I think I just stopped there and said, you know what, no. <laughs> and then just, beep, and then just beep, walked beep. away. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I actually said that to her. I was like, you know what, no. 
<laughs> in, but you know, uh, clearly in a way, it's like, okay, and she knew it too. It's like, I, I can't, not in this arena. <laughs> I would love to see that in person. This this hot chick and a guy approaching her and just stops like two feet short and just goes, nah, backs away. Like that would be hilarious to see. I think. <laughs> but you also give him props. It's like at least he at least he's aware enough to know. Don't fucking embarrass himself. <laughs> but sometimes you're just gonna go. I for think it. I was, I was preemptively. Yeah. Sometimes you're just gonna go for it. You never know. You could have said something to her. And she might have been. She could be your wife now. That that is true. But I think I was like preemptively just like, you know what? This isn't going to end well for either. But the fear of failure is what holds us back, isn't it? There is that yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yep. I just I do have a, f- a very fond memory that just like no no. <laughs> just no men out there, you know. I know. I mean, the problem is uh, the good ones. You know, they're good. And they know they're in such demand. They're just not interested in confining themselves to one person. I hate the good ones. Is Jerry one of the good ones? That's a good question. I think he thinks he is. The mediocre ones are available, but they're so insecure about not being one of the good ones that they're always going, well, I'm not good enough for you. What are you doing with me? And eventually I just go, you're right. I just thought Maggie Wheeler was so funny throughout this whole episode. Just everything. She yeah. just she did it so well. It was, it was odd, though, hearing her just talk and not, yeah, not, not Janice yeah. voice. Yeah, but I thought she was really good. She um, she asked Elaine, "Is is Jerry a good one?" Uh, he, he thinks he is. <laughs> I think I think he thinks he yeah. is, <laughs> which is perfect. Exactly, it sums up Jerry. He, he thinks he is. Uh, she says she needs she needs someone who's desperate, and then we cut to George with all the sp- spaghetti all over his face. And I think this episode is the first time we've all, sort of got the um, the implication that George is a messy eater. Because it comes up in later yeah. episodes with the um, the Sunday Danny shirt and things like that, but um, but yeah, he's um, kind of a slob. I am in the camp of everyone at the table when George is eating, being disgusted. When it comes to eating your food, have some form of like <laughs> restraint. Don't be an animal. No, like oh yeah, and I, I hate me personally. I hate loud chewers. Like I hate when I can hear some. I hate when I can hear the food in your mouth being munched up. Like close your mouth. For God's sakes, it just really, it's one of the, my pet peeves. I know it sounds stupid, but it's just me. No, no, look, I'm, I'm all too aware of it. I mean, to the point where, you know, I'll be asking someone, can I get an extra napkin or two there? That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. And um, anytime, take a bite, wipe the mouth. Another bite, wipe the beard. Yes. <laughs> it's funny how some meals, when it comes to chips, right? Some meals you'll eat chips with a fork and some meals you'll eat them with your hand. Like burger and chips, it's fine to pick up the chips with your hand. But if you're having a steak, you gotta you gotta use the knife yeah. and fork, right? I guess if everything on the on the on the plate is um is hand food is finger food, that's fine. But I remember went out mm. on a date with a girl once at the sporting globe, it was long before I met Nicola. We both got burger and chips, it was like burger night. And she ate the burger with a knife and fork, and I was like, Do I do that now? Like, what do I do? And I was like, no, fuck it. I'm not, it's just awkward. So I use my hands, my it, hands. It's a burger. And I could tell she was like looking at me funny. He's like, look at this animal using his hands. And I was like, you're using a knife and a fork for a fucking yeah. burger. Like, what is going on here? Look at this. It was, the most, it was the most awkward dinner because I could tell the entire time, I'm trying to have this conversation, but the entire time I can tell she's judging me for using my hands to eating a burger. I never, I'll never forget that. It was so odd. Well, there you go. There's there, there's a, a Seinfeld episode in itself. Yeah. Or, or at least a part of a Seinfeld episode in itself. I mean, it's gotten to the point when I'm flirting with operators on the phone. <laughs> I almost made a date with one. Oh, so there's still hope. I don't want hope. Hope is killing me. <laughs> My dream is to become hopeless. 
<laughs> when you're hopeless, you don't care. Mm -hmm. And when you don't care, that indifference makes you attractive. Uh -huh. So hopelessness is the key. It's my only hope. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's just like Larry David to a T. Uh, Janice says, you know, if she's not married by the time she's 40, she's going to have to kill her mother. She's gonna, and she's, she just feels so sorry for her. Well, at least she's not bitter. Oh, I could be young and bitter. Uh, and she asks Elaine to, um, to order her a piece of cake and she's going to go throw up. Throw they, up. They, they slide into bul a bulimia joke in here. And I was like, as someone who's suffered through that, I was like, I, I laughed at it. But I'm just like, wow, like that's just like... He didn't focus on it, but I was like, shit, that's a fucking bulimia joke. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Seinfeld's going for it. I mean, yeah. the, last, the, last, the last episode was the suicide. Uh, the last episode of the week after it was the suicide. And, you know, and then for, to sneak in the uh, the eating disorder uh, gag into this one, it's like, wow. Because later on, <laughs> she likes they to They don't care up. who they are. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay, cool. I, 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 thought, I appreciated it. But we're now at the apartment yeah. and Jerry's hands are filthy from the newspaper they should give you a wet wipe like the rib joint. I thought the same thing. When you're reading your newspaper and you're like, what? Man, my hands all black. It used oh, to happen yeah. when I was working back in the day. When we were packing boxes at Pop Culture, you and I, you'd have to shove the newspaper into the box. You get to the end of the day and your hands are all black. And it's like, oh, God oh, damn it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, now, they all ask, uh, Jerry asks Elaine what they chatted about. And when she, when she said, you know, the Federal Reserve, the rainforest, mm. I thought that was her being sarcastic. Uh, I've got my, I had my notes they're so similar. Like that is just like a, a smarmy response that Jerry would give her. But then she's like, mm. "Oh no, 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 she thinks it'd be good to um, you know, chop the rainforest down, and that way we don't have to have that conversation anymore." <laughs> <laughs> they then get the idea for the fix-up. Actually, George was in rare form. He just can't find anybody. I know, Cynthia too. She's really given up. George too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I've never fixed anybody up. Oh, me neither. And I am not about to start with George. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you start with George? You think she's too good for George? I didn't say too good. Did I say too good? Well, you implied it. I didn't say it. Because if you think she's too good for George, you are dead wrong. Dead wrong. <laughs> Who is she? Who is he? He's George. She's Cynthia. So what? What, you don't think she's beautiful? Oh, what's with the eyebrows? You know what your problem is? Your standards are too high. I went out with you. That's because my standards are too low. I like that Jerry was backing up George here because, and Elaine's backing up Cynthia. It's like they've got their friends, their friends, but they've also got their own friends. And Je Jerry, all his faults aside, he will support George to the end of the earth. Like he's backing him up. He's, 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 it's his best mate. <laughs> What's wrong he with George? Is, but but it's complicated, yeah. I think, because I think partly he's like, no, no, George is all right. But I think it's also Jerry's big upping himself a little bit because he's like. He recommended He's George. He's friends with George. Yeah, yeah. true. And yeah. It, any impression of George is reflected on Jerry as well. It's like, why are you friends with this guy? <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes a bit of an odd one to to, to work out. So, um, yeah, because I, mean, I, I wrote down here, does Jerry really think George is that good? <laughs> you know? yep. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one. Jerry then points out her eyebrows. And I was like, 
what's wrong with her eyebrows? I, I, I rewound at that point and I was like, her eyebrows look perfectly normal to me. I don't understand what's wrong with her <laughs> eyebrows. But, you know, your standards are too high. Well, I went out with you. Yeah, because my standards are too low. That's where we got the, like the married with children kind yeah. of response from the crowd there. Um, Elaine then mentions that, you know, her eyebrows, you know, some women pluck them all out of their heads and draw them on just to have, you know, some women would kill to have eyebrows like that, which comes in later on, which I thought was pretty cool. George is then, um, he says that George is fast and he's strong. And I tell you, he can bait a hook. <laughs> like, <laughs> being able to bait a hook, like when he went fishing with mates, some mates can't bait a hook and you feel like it's kind of like when you, you say to a guy put a shelf up and they can't put a shelf up you feel like less of a man <laughs> like, oh yeah it's like, like my dad would take me fishing he's like bait the hook and I'm like in my head I'm like I don't really know how to do this let's just fucking wing it let's just shove just get this hook and just shove stuff on dad's like that's not how you fucking do it I'm like I'm, like, I'm so sorry <laughs> Well, you never taught I mean, me. You a, never taught me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's terrible. I mean, when you're at that age or at any age, because it can still happen, you know, when you think you're old enough to know better. It's like, mate, I don't know how to do this. Can you show me? Mm. <laughs> I mean, it, it's the simplest thing in the world to say. We've had this discussion before where we discussed how we can't drive manual cars. Like, yeah. People these days are like, it's not so much of a big deal, but I went for a job, as I was saying, and they were like, can you drive manual? Yeah. And I was like, oh, and I can learn. They're like, you can't drive manual? I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 but as we said, if it's easy to drive auto, just fucking make, what, what's the need for manual? I don't, I don't know. But yeah. it's one of those things where driving a manual car, if you can't drive manual. I remember Nicola's dad was like, had a manual car. And then he found out that I couldn't drive, because he's all about vehicles, and he found out that I couldn't drive a manual. I, was, I could just tell he looked at me like less of a man. <laughs> I, oh, like, yeah. I don't care, man. I don't care, buddy. But Jerry, um, he thinks it's a good idea. You know, Are, are we going to share information? Like Every Natural. secret? Oh, what if it worked out? <laughs> yeah, right. So as, yeah, Jerry's revealing there that he doesn't think this is going to work. He just thinks it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. the, the power they're going to have over each other, all the, all the goss they could tell each other. So George, you know, he cuts to George. It's out of the question. It's not going to happen. It's one step away from a personal lad and prostitutes. <laughs> and then comes back out. Well, what does she look like? And this whole conversation about describing how each other look like. You can just tell anyone who's gone through a fix-up, this is exactly what would happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to become a salesman or, yeah. you know, a, a, <laughs> like their agent or something. Like, no, no, they're really good. It's like, how, how do I sell it to them? How do I, how do I tell them the truth? Not the real truth, but the truth. And enough to get them yeah. where I'm not necessarily lying, but, but I'm not telling them everything just yet. Really accentuating the positive. Yeah. You know, and, and, down, and downplaying the negative as, you know, as honestly as you can, but also as, you know, as being as good a salesman as you possibly can as well. I watched this with Nicola. And Nicola, when George asked what her, what her body's like, Nicola's like, I don't reckon I'd do this anymore on TV. And I'm like, you're probably right. But you know what the thing is? That's exactly what a guy would ask. That's a, it's, it's, yeah. Any guy that says he wouldn't ask is full of shit. Like, you would 100% ask that. And I've never been part of a fix-up. I've never been set up on a date. No. But, you can, like, this is the kind of question that people would ask. What's it? And, then, and Cynthia asked the same thing. What does he look like? What's he, is he fat? Yeah. Is he this... It's just we're humans. We're, we're you know it's just part of it. it's part of who we are. We want to know. If you want to know. If I'm yeah. going on a date with somebody, I want to know what they look like. Do they have a good body? If they don't have a good body, that doesn't mm. mean I'm not going to go on the date. I just like to know what I'm getting myself involved with. No, it's it's nice to know a little bit before you actually meet someone. You know what's funny though? Surely, surely. I know this is the time before smartphones. Surely they got photos of each other. Like, like surely George, Jerry has a photo of George somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, that he can give to Elaine that she can go show Cynthia but anyway it doesn't matter 
Um, but yeah, what's her body like? That's really very nice and good. And she, she, I, I can't tell the woman that's smarter than me. Oh, how could she be smarter than you? <laughs> but it's incredible, yeah, how, how these people who initially were like, oh, I think I'm just going to be hopeless. Or, you know, are generally sort of that's, pessimistic people yeah. are being very, very picky. Exactly. They've gone about from, their potential yeah, pain. They've gone from, I want someone who's hopeless and, and, and desperate to, well, no, he can't be fat and he, he can't be this. And he's balding. What do you It's like, you said you wanted this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bald or balding. Yeah, yeah. Bald or balding. That was great. Um, he's got a lot of character in his face. He's short. He's stocky. You mean he's fat. No, he's, he's powerful. And I, I like how, like, what Jerry used to sell George to Elaine, she's now using to sell to Cynthia, and vice versa. Mm. With the, you know, they kill for eyebrows like that. So, like he, the the things that uh, Elaine used to sell Cynthia to Jerry, he's now using to sell to George. And then we get the the argument that the flowing is the hair flowing, <laughs> cascading <laughs> I like, hair. I like thick cascading hair. <laughs> <laughs> Does the hair get stuck in the hair? What is her cheeks like? Is it is it a kind of pinkish hue? A, pinkish a, rose, hue. a rosy glow. That's great. And, uh, Jerry's just response to all this is just like perfect. And then the women were killed to have her eyebrows. And uh, I hope she's not too sweet because that, that can make you throw up. Well, she likes to throw up. He likes to throw uh, up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Cynthia then asks if he's um, ever been married. I honestly think, sorry, just just, uh, just a quick thing. I mean, the bulimia thing doesn't really come into it all that much other than, you know, there's the there's the line at the start where he's like, ordered me a piece of cake and going to throw up. Then it's never really sort of mentioned again. I think it's really just a setup for that line. Yeah, 100%. That's why I was just like, they just throw this bulimia gag in there, which has no bearing on the story. It's just there. <laughs> but, you know, why not? You know, people go through it. It happens. We can, we can yeah. look back and you, you got to at least acknowledge it. You know what I mean? That's not, I don't think they, they don't treat it like it's a butt of a joke. No. It's just, it's what, it's what she's doing. Um, but yeah, Cynthia asks if she's married and Elaine says he wants to spend a weekend with the woman and Cynthia is just like, I'm not too sure about this guy. So George and Cynthia have had an incredible phone conversation. He threw away his notes halfway through. I, I love that George always writes notes for his phone conversations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he thinks she could do voiceover commercials. Her voice is what, Mr. Davis? It is mellifluous. Yeah. Uh, and then he's like, this, this is how date should go. Two phones on a table, done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm perfect on a phone conversation. And that's that's the thing. When I used to be talking to girls over the phone, you be, you be, you're so much more confident, aren't you, when you're on the phone? Oh, yeah. You, you're like Superman. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't even know I'm naked right no, now. No, 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 not at all. But yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 I thought it was really, really cool. Elaine walks in and she's really, really happy for him. You know, oh, it's, it's, go, it's gone so great. And what, what did she say about the conversation? Well, she didn't really mention it. She didn't mention it. And then George just gives up straight away. It's, it's so perfect. <laughs> then we get Kramer entering with the with the, the hollering from the Big crowd. Applause. Yes. And um, he just talks over the top of them. He enters the cheers. Uh, he says, Bob Sacramento, he's got the uh, the gig at the condom factory in Edison. And he gave him a gross. <laughs> what are you going to do with them all? <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he tells a lady to take half a bag. <laughs> Whatever, <I'll> hooker. <laughs> George. I'll take one. It, it's possible. <laughs> Plus, you know, in my time using condoms, I don't think I've ever used like a coloured one. I think I've just gone for the basic transparency. Yeah. Your your, your sex life was as vanilla as could possibly be. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I think I had- Well, a, I like to think that I brought the flavour. Yeah, yeah, there you I go. Don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to gussy it up with like- Check it out, baby. It's the crimson condom. <laughs> <laughs> the vanilla frosting. Uh, but then we get some more stand-up uh, about buy- the problem with buying a condom, which we discussed earlier, which I just thought Jerry's really good at times with his physical comedy. Just the, the nod. 
Like it's just he absolutely. He, I thought this is one of his best stand-ups he's shown on the show so far. We then get Jerry and Elaine on the phone. It's almost like they've got their own little relationship happening on the side. It's like it's become a game to yeah. them. Have, have, you, have you spoke to them yet? No, she hasn't called me yet either. It's eleven forty-five. They both then call up, so they get off the phones. And no, full disclosure, you know, I'll, I'll vault it. I'll vault it. And we've all had like moments that. where we've said that to somebody, and we. It's like they know and we know it's not going to be vaulted. It's going to come out. But uh, I remember I said to like my mate, no, my mate said to me something about having a baby. He's like, don't, don't tell Nicola. I'm like, all right. He knew I was going home to tell Nicola. You have to tell somebody. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think when you've got a situation like that, yeah, you've got to take into account like, okay, well, yeah, if they're going to tell someone, but how many people are they going to tell? You know, how big is the circle going to be or how, how wide is it going to reach? So yeah, you can just tell one person. That's fine. All right, look, I'm going to tell you. But I made a pact with Cynthia. We swore we were not going to tell you and Elaine. You can tell me. I'll vault it. It's in the vault? I'm locking the vault. What? Come on. We had sex. Oh, God, you had sex? How did that happen? I don't know. I closed my eyes and made a move. At your apartment? Yeah. She didn't stay over? No, she left. But listen, you can't mention any of this to Elaine. Cynthia will kill me. We made a deal. Oh, my God. He was uncomfortable because it was our first time, so he felt he would perform better if we did it in the kitchen. He says the kitchen is always the most sociable room in the house, and he was serious. So? How was it? How good could it be? My head was on a hot plate. But George is, is, is annoyed now because he's left three messages and he feels used, cheap and violated because she hasn't called back, and Jerry's just not impressed at all because he's just like, hey, I went to va- I vouched for you, this I'm woman. <laughs> now she's making me look bad, and she's not going to get away with this. And, and George's like, you know what? I made small talk with the waitress. You know, I'm a man of the people. <laughs> I'll talk to the commoners. Yeah, yeah um, talk to the commoners. And then Jerry's like, I'm going to call her. And George's like, no, no, don't, don't do it, don't do it. I thought it was Michael Richards done a great job here of just being the guy in between. He's like, da, 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 da. he was being such a such a good friend, such a mensch this time around. It's like there's yeah. plenty of women out there for all of us. <laughs> says something you're gonna have to deal with me <laughs> you know i bet i know what this is about it's about a woman isn't it well, yeah but yeah, yeah. you see this is exactly what they want to do to you they play one against the other you can't let them manipulate you like that but Craig, no, no 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 i want you guys to shake hands come on there are plenty of women out there for all of us let's go yes you see isn't that better than fighting animosity I mean, you want to fight with somebody, you fight with me. Oh, by the way, George, you know those condoms I gave you? They're defective. Don't use them. And then it the roles reverse. So, like, then Jerry becomes the man in between because he says to George, well, I didn't think you were going to have to use them. <laughs> George gets irate. <laughs> Jerry becomes the man in the middle. And Cynthia says to Elaine that she's missed her period. And Elaine realizes, oh, shit, I know why. Yeah. Uh, Jerry then we get Jerry trying to twist the lid, uh, the lid off of, of a soda, and he can't do it like the life of him. Like it felt like a a big focus on something so small, but I guess that's what Seinfeld's mm. all about. Oh yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> another thing too. But like when Nicholas says, I, "I can't unscrew this lid," when she hands that to me, the pressure immediately goes onto me. I'm like, if I can't open this jar now, 
might as well just get divorced. <laughs> when they say, can you open it for me? It's like, oh shit, if I can't open it now, oh, yeah. what do I do? <laughs> and sometimes, yeah, you've just got one that's just stuck or just on a little bit too far and no one's getting that off without, you know, sort of having to Google tight lid on salsa, you know, and you, know, like, and you put it under a hot tap or something like that, it'll expand you a little yeah. bit. But, you know, if you can't just grab it and go... Yeah, you're feeling like less of a man. Elaine arrives and she says, what's the problem with your flaky friend? I know her type. <laughs> and Elaine's like, <laughs> Elaine, Elaine pushes him and they're getting all angry at each other. She call, He calls her bitter and twisted. Oh, bitter might be a judgment, but I'll tell you, she's twisted. <laughs> twisted. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm calling you a liar if you are one. And then he, he, she points in his finger. You get that finger out of my face. <laughs> Kramer <laughs> comes in, breaks them all up again. Don't the two of you see that you're in love with each other? <laughs> and then like, this is pretty much like, if this was any other sitcom, that would be the story, wouldn't it be? Will they or won't they? They, they'd be yeah. Ross, Ross and Rachel. You know, <laughs> and they, they, they clearly are perfect for each other. But the show wouldn't succeed if they were together. No, absolutely not. So, I mean, and I think you've got, you know, some fans of the show like doing a bit of shipping, like, oh, with Jerry Lane, wouldn't it be great if they were together? And they can enjoy that fantasy. But, yeah, I think the show is way too smart to, yes. uh, yeah, put them together. I knew those condoms were defective! Oh. How did you know they were defective? Because, because she missed her period! She missed her period? Oh my God, I can't believe it. I'm a father, I did it. My boys can swim, I can do it, I can do it. Now we're on the date here with, um, or before George and Jerry arrive, Cynthia is explaining how George, he stepped up to the plate. I was like, what to do? Oh yeah, he was absolutely. Like, you, know, Go. you got my full support, Like I'm just like, Okay, it's going to work out for these guys. <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, you're saying, you know, I'll support you whatever you choose. So it's like if she wants to have the baby, if she does want to have the baby, it's like, oh, I mean, George is being very uh, progressive, very sensitive, good on him. And it's, be- and it's before he it. knew that she wasn't pregnant, of course. So the, 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 well, yeah. that's where the, the branding points come from. And Jerry and George arrive and jo- Jerry pretends to have a limp. <laughs> like, I've got pregnant. Ah. That's just me. It's just... It's something stupid, like for no reason other than just <laughs> try and be funny. Um, but they got the best seat in the house, and she says right next to the kitchen. I was like, hey, nice throwback, nice callback there. Mm. <laughs> now, you know what is, it's what I like about that line is that at first she was saying how much she hated having sex in the kitchen. You no, know, she felt uncomfortable. Blah blah blah. It wasn't nice. She left. She went home. Now that George has made a good impression, it's like, oh yeah, we can fuck in the kitchen whenever you want to now, buddy. Like it's, it, it changes the whole outlook <laughs> on having sex in the kitchen because now George has sort of stepped up to the plate. The hot plate. Mm. <laughs> the hot Well said, mate. And George um, then immediately eats like a pig. It kind of came across a bit much because to me personally, yeah. I can't see George the way he is and focusing on the little details being such a pig. I can understand that the Sunday dripping onto his shirt and things like that, but the whole yeah. eating like the Simpsons kind of do, I was like, eh, it felt a bit out of character. No, no, it really should have just been like he, you know, took a big bite of something and just had it, you know, a big smear on the side of his face. Yeah. Which has happened to me on more than one occasion. And, you know, the lovely Louise will look across me and go, yeah, do the do the face thing, on the finger on the face. I'm like, oh, man, I'm a slob. I don't deserve this woman. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you're right. <laughs> she leaves. <laughs> but, yeah, so but that aside, I um, I thought this, yeah, the, I, I just thought Maggie Wheeler was, was fantastic in this. And um, and then we get some stand up at the end about the uh, the power trip from being the, having the fix up and you know God was the first person that set up Adam and Eve and, <laughs> and we go from there. So um yeah so uh, another 
solid episode of Seinfeld. It's not by any means a, a classic one, but it's it's one of those things where you watch it and you just feel like you're watching real people just having a normal conversation. That's that, but that's what's funny about it. It's not necessarily like gag heavy. It's just what people say in real life, and that's what makes it funny. Yeah, and I think it deserved that uh, that Emmy based on that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a very it's a very written episode, if you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, they put a lot of effort into the writing of it. So, uh, yeah, it, it deserved its prize. And, um, yeah, look, it's not up there with the best of the best, absolutely, but it's a perfectly fun episode. I had a good half hour uh, watching The Fix-Up. Yes. All right, guys. Well, that is our review of The Fix-Up. I hope you enjoyed it. The next episode, so there's a two-part episode coming up, Mr. Davis, The Boyfriend, part one and part two. Are we going to do an episode on part one and an episode on part two? Or are we going to do it as a, a double whammy? Because it might throw off all, it will throw everything off if we mm. can join them into one episode. So, what do you want to do? The boyfriend part one and part two. I think that they believe they aired at the same time, so they aired back to back. Okay. So, do you want to just mm, do the that- boy, just do the boyfriend as an episode? The problem is, it's going to be yeah, a long a- one because it's going to be an hour's worth of content to review. So, should we do part one True. and part two, or should we review it as one single thing? I think we should do it as one single thing. Let's do it. All right. So the next episode of Cypher will be The Boyfriend, part one and part two together. Wow. So look out for that. Also, what we'd like to do here on Talking Seinfeld is each week we're going to chuck out a potential episode idea and we need you guys to send in your uh, storylines for that episode for each character. So the episode this week is going to be what, Mr. Davis? I think we're going to go with the finger point. Yeah, or the point. Just um, the point. Yeah, yeah because uh, yeah, Elaine makes a big show of uh, putting a finger in Jerry's face, and uh, he's not—he's not big on the point. He's not big no, he's having not. Uh, big on someone pointing a finger in his face. We feel like it's something that could be spun off mm-hmm. into uh, into a whole episode. It's an—it's an inciting incident that be, could, could become a uh, rollicking half hour of comedy. So, talkingseinfeld at gmail.com, Send in your ideas for the point. What would Kramer, George, Elaine, and Jerry be doing in this episode? Let us know, and we'll read out your answers on next week's show, talkingseinfeld at gmail.com. I hope you guys are continuing to uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so, please do so. Chuck us five stars. Leave a few kind words. Also, please chuck us five stars on Spotify if that's where you are listening to the show. It takes a couple of moments. Also, please follow us on Facebook uh, at Talking Seinfeld, facebook.com slash Talking Seinfeld, and on Instagram and Twitter as well at Talking Seinfeld. And if you do enjoy everything we do here, you can support us for as little as one single dollar we do. One single dollar we do uh, on Patreon, get access to our exclusive Facebook community, exclusive podcasts, and much, much more. Or you can chuck us a donation on PayPal to fourfingerdiscount at outlook.com. Links are all in the description of this podcast. Now, Mr. Davis, before we let these people go, I believe you usually mm-hmm. have some final words for them. So what would they be for this week? Just one. Mellifluous.